Welcome to the BASAC View. We are the Battlefords and Area Sexual Assault Center, and this is an educational podcast about consent, self-healing, and keeping yourself safe. Join Kayla and Michelle as they maneuver their way into all the topics you hate talking to your kids about. Sex, puberty, body safety, growing up, and most importantly, power in no. Because consent is mandatory. Hello, everyone. Hello. And welcome to episode nine of the BASAC View. My name is Kayla, and as usual, the one and only Michelle. Hello, Kayla. (laughs) So we just want to say thank you, as usual, to our awesome fan base. We really do appreciate you guys. And before we start this episode, uh, I just want to put a trigger warning out there that we do talk about sexual violence pretty heavily in this episode. Um, so please remember to practice self-care. Right. More about the defining and that sort of thing, just to make people aware of the differences, because sometimes we don't know that, right? Yeah. So what are we talking about today? Well, we are going to talk about understanding all things sexual assault. And can I put just a little plug in there too? We're on the TikTok. We're on the TikTok! (laughs) And our channel is BASAC, B-A-S-A-C-1. So the number one. You betcha. And it's been a lot of fun and incredible feedback. Man, it is kind of blown up and it's amazing. And honestly, it just shows (laughs) that our content is needed content in the TikTok realm. Right. And to start the conversations, right? Just, Just to open it up and... And to let people or to give them permission that it's okay to talk about it. 100%. Yeah, some of those comments have been really eye-opening. Partially not surprising. But like you said, I know it's starting a lot of really important conversations at home. Okay, so back to our episode nine here of understanding all things sexual assault. You know, we've had a lot of questions uh, about the difference between the terms that we use. And I mean... That makes sense, right? We use a lot of different terms. They all mean the same thing, but they all mean something different at the same time. Right. So some of the terms we use are sexual assault, sexual violence, sexual abuse, rape, so on, right? And we'll define more terms as we go on. I just want to say first that the word rape, that's not a word that is used very much anymore, right? And and for the right reasons, right? There's a few reasons. One is we associate the word rape with penetration. So if a person was sexually assaulted, but there was no penetration, there really wasn't a word for that. And and the term rape just didn't seem to fit, right? And it seemed to downplay the experience, seemingly making it less terrifying or less traumatic. If there wasn't penetration, then it couldn't be that bad, could it? And that typically prevented people from reporting because it wasn't rape, per se, but they were still assaulted. The other term, rapist, seems to make someone like a real monster, right? When you think of the term rapist, it's right away you're into that violence, Mm -hmm. right? And maybe the grandfather who touched the granddaughter isn't a monster, per se. (laughs) So not technically a rapist, but still a monster in my eyes. But that term rapist was too violent a word to use for that poor perverted grandpa. Mm Mm-hmm. However, I digress. 
So yes, we don't use the term rape anymore. So let's talk about the terms that we do use. Sexual violence can mean any of the acceptable terms used now in the 21st century. Terms like sexual assault, sexual abuse. Now, having said we don't use the word rape, we still do in a couple of things. Right. Sexual harassment, sexual exploitation, dating violence, domestic violence, stalking, molesting, date rape, incest, and so on. Hi, yeah, And yay. so on. Hi, Right. So we're going to define some of those terms. So buckle in, Kayla. Okay, let's get her started. So first up, sexual assault. All right. Again, rape. This typically means penetration, like we said earlier, and it doesn't matter how slight. Right. It can be in the anus or the vagina, and it doesn't have to mean penile penetration. It can mean with an object or oral penetration as well. And all of it means it's done without the consent of the victim. So statutory rape refers to sexual intercourse with someone who is under the statutory age of consent. And I don't know, have we been through the age of consent in our episodes before? I think we might have mentioned it. So we will have for sure a podcast on that. Basic information, the age of consent in Canada is 16 years old, um, but there are stipulations Mm -hmm. to that, okay? Mm -hmm. We'll do a full episode on that because it's really important, that age of consent. Okay, so next, incest. Incest means sexual intercourse between people who are related to each other as defined within the degrees wherein marriage is prohibited. And and this includes step-parents as well. Absolutely. Right, there does not have to be a blood relation Mm -hmm. there. It can be through marriage as well. Right. Uh, Fondling. Fondling means to touch private parts on a person's body for sexual gratification, again, without their consent. Without consent. All right, next in line. Sexual harassment can happen in a workplace, at a school, at an athletics club, in a class, and so on. I mean, it can happen anywhere, right? And it can be defined as... One, when an employee or employer uses unwanted sexual misconduct in any way as a way to influence someone in their workplace, including as a condition of employment, of promotion, or, you know, they use it as a means of blackmail, right, right, for Mm -hmm. example. Or it can happen when a teacher or a coach or a professional or admin or a teacher, uh, sorry, a teacher's aide, an instructor, again, that list goes on uses unwanted sexual misconduct in a way to influence someone in their program as a condition of advancement or education or their learning, and again, so on. And the third one is, it can also be, you know, how about when you're just walking down the street mm-hmm. and having someone comment on your breasts or your butt, right? Or you're in a subway and people lean into you or they touch you, like, use that as an excuse to get close to you, right? All harassment. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not just limited to institutions. It can it can happen anywhere. For sure. Man, heavy stuff already. I know. It's so heavy. <laughs> but it's good to know the differences between these terms. Right. So next, Michelle, let's get into what sexual exploitation means. So that's a little bit different. Kind of the same again, but different. That means when someone attempts to or threatens to or takes sexual advantage of someone without their consent. Okay, give me some examples. Like what? Okay, so like recording or photographing or even even observing someone's private parts or their sexual activities without their consent or allowing someone else to do that. Right. Right. Without that 
the, the victim, I guess you would say, their consent. And then it also includes distributing those recordings or those pictures or those Im- images. And it also means flashing one's genitals, touching one's genitals, or even masturbating in front of someone without their consent and or persuading them to do the same. Right. And that happens. And another form is also if you t- if you tell someone you're using protection or condoms during sex... And you don't. And you don't. You're deceiving them. You're being dishonest about that. Right. Right. And again, that's without their consent. And like it says, you're deceiving them. Or another way is using date rape drugs or somehow incapacitating someone for the purpose of making someone vulnerable to sexual activity without their consent. Again, with that consent. We always come back to that consent. (laughs) So human sex trafficking, you guys, is a form of sexual exploitation. When people are coerced into sexual activity for anything of value, for money, for food, for drugs, for shelter, whatever it may Mm -hmm. be. Yeah, that's for sure. When people threaten to use violence or the recordings of what went on or images of sexual activity or of any part of their body or using their sexual history as a means to have them engage in sexual activity. It's a form of sexual exploitation. Big breath in. Okay, does any of this even surprise you at at all the ways a person can be hurt or exploited or violated against? I mean, at this point, no, right? And we're not even finished. We're not even finished. So next, dating violence. Dating violence is another term that is used and maybe one we are more familiar with. It typically means when violence occurs within a relationship. One that is typically romantic or intimate Mm -hmm. in nature. It doesn't necessarily indicate sexual violence, but violence nonetheless. That's why it's termed dating violence. Right. On the other end of that scale is domestic violence. And that refers more to violence committed by a partner or a spouse. Somebody, you know, somebody you're currently dating or someone um, you might have dated in the past. Or you might even share a child with them. Uh, You might be living with them. And it also includes Violence against children as well. Domestic violence. So can I just jump in here and say that we are going to say this over and over and over again until all survivors believe us that none of what we mentioned above is ever the fault of the survivor. Not only survivors believing us, but how about the court systems, right? Amen. (laughs) Wait, you're saying that we've never mentioned this before, Michelle? You know, I'm not sure we have. (laughs) Sexual violence in any way is so common that I think it seems like we're almost desensitized to it. But in fact, it is an issue that impacts so many people. And if you need more proof, go to our BASEC one on TikTok. Look at the very first post of reading the book and read some of those comments. Oh my gosh. There's so much disclosure there. There's a lot, a ton of disclosures and it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And so can we just go back to that topic of incest just for a moment? Because again, um, that's out there. For sure. Do you think that the topic of incest is the hardest one to talk about out of all of these? I don't, I don't know that it's harder, you know, in, in terms of the experience, it's all horrifying and traumatic, but it's definitely difficult because when it comes to reporting it, when it comes to talking about how it affects the family dynamic, 
you know, there's going to be a whole lot of trauma and drama around that. We've heard mm-hmm. so many stories. And I, I do believe that it is the hardest one to report, for sure. You will have those who believe that it happened, and you'll have others who are adamant that it didn't happen and end up blaming the victim. And again, we're just going to repeat, incest refers to sexual activity or conduct between family members, including parents, grandparents, siblings, cousins, aunts, uncles, sons, daughters, and so Mm -hmm. on, and step-parents, like I said before. And it can be so, so difficult for a survivor to tell anyone about what happened to them or who the perp even was, because we know, we know how common Mm -hmm. it is for a survivor to know their perpetrator. I I don't know the exact stat, but it's something like 85% of all of sexual assaults happen by a person that you know, right? High percentage. Yeah. And imagine if your beloved grandfather touched you. The grandfather you've done things with that you simply adore spending time with touched you inappropriately or forced you to have sex when you were like four years old, Mm. right? Someone you so deeply care for is so deeply hurting you. That's a mixed bag of what will happen to that person if I report them or how can I report them? Or maybe this is just what happens. Or what if my family doesn't believe me? I know that's happened, right? If the family member threatened their safety, that never goes away. No. Imagine being at a family function and have your uncle walk by you and whisper in your ear, if you tell anyone about what our deal is, I'll kill you. It's actually very horrific, I would think. Or imagine having your aunt's boyfriend sneaking into your bedroom repeatedly and she doesn't believe you when you told her. She's saying it's your fault or it's not happening. Meanwhile, you're waking up to a knife hanging over your head that the boyfriend snuck in and tied it to the ceiling while you were sleeping as a warning to keep your mouth shut. And it goes on for a couple years at least, right? These are all true stories, by the way. Horrifying. All true stories. Imagine trying to heal from that. And then when you disclose it to someone and the family says, oh, shh, we don't talk about that stuff. Imagine what that does to a child, right? It's so damaging. They lose their sense of safety. They lose their sense of trust, right? The fear is huge. You tend to fear being alone with anybody. And then you just put the psyche of a child on top of that and how little life experience they have. Mm -hmm. And in their little brains, this is what everybody's grandpa does to them, right? This is what everyone's uncle does to them. Mm -hmm. You're darn right that's damaging. And the loss of innocence, too. So can we talk about now about drug-facilitated assaults? I don't think we've touched on that yet. What is a drug-facilitated assault? So it's, it's when drugs or alcohol are used to incapacitate someone or to compromise someone's ability to consent to sexual activity. I mean, that seems pretty simple, right? Right. Alcohol, too. Not right. It's not just the date rape drug, right? right? Roofies. Right. Which, by the way, is the slang term for the date rape drug, Rufinol. Rufinol. We've heard it all. Yep. Yep. Alcohol, too. That's right. And people also use drugs such as GHB, ecstasy, sleep aids, muscle relaxants, anxiety medications, 
you know, there's, there's a lot of ways to incapacitate somebody using drugs. It reduces the victim's ability to consent. It drops inhibitions and it can erase their memory of the assault ever occurring, actually. And it doesn't just get used at bars or public events, right? It can be used on intimate dates. For sure. In marriages, in places of employment, anywhere and anyone can be a victim. And that's why we always say, carry your drinks with you, girls, when you're going out. Don't accept drinks from strangers. As, as cool as it is or as flattering as you think it is, why would you drink something somebody else gave you? Gave you? For sure. Right? That doesn't even make sense. And... In case we've never said it before, it is never, ever, 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 ever the victim's fault. Right. Okay. Assaulters can put a drug in drinks, which is really the most common with that way that we've heard about it. Yep. And they can convince the victim to consume more drugs or consume more alcohol than they are comfortable with. Right. They refuse to help when someone says that they've had too much to drink or is having a really bad experience with the drug, right? And that they take advantage of their victim's poor condition. And I know that we've seen some of this in movies, but we know it's not just in the movies, is it? No. And I mean, that sort of takes us back to that Brock case that we oh, talked yeah. about a couple podcasts ago, right? The, the girl was passed out drunk taking advantage of her. Yeah. I mean, it's really scary. Back, you know, back in my day, the boys always used to tease about Spanish fly. Have you ever heard about that I one? I was going to say, I don't know what that is. Really <laughs> aging yourself, Michelle. <laughs> a little bit. And I mean, we had no idea what it was. I never saw it. I don't think anybody ever actually had any. You know, it was kind of the the date rape drug of of my era but i huh. don't think anybody actually had any huh. but it's and 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 i think that the people who threatened it you know were the idea behind it was that it was an aphrodisiac which made you want to you know maybe have more of an intimate relationship mm-hmm. um because what it did what it can do is cause long lasting erections right but it was also very dangerous and it, it actually can actually be fatal when it's ingested because it's extremely poisonous. Wow. Right? All these drugs affect your system. Absolutely. But the point is, you know, even back in my day, there's always been ways to intoxicate someone for the purpose of having non-consensual sex with them since the dawn of time, really. For sure. Right? So how does one... How, how do you tell if you've been drugged? I mean, some people, they wake up and they have this niggling feeling that something happened or they're not too sure. What are some things that people should look for? So first and foremost, and we say this in all of our programs, trust your gut. Mm. Trust your gut. If something yeah. is telling you that something sketchy went on last night, please look into it yeah. because it likely did. Mm-hmm. Okay. But if we're going to get into the physical symptoms, first and foremost, nausea, right? If you wake up feeling sick and yucky in your belly, especially if you didn't drink very much, especially right? for sure. If you experience difficulty in breathing, right. that should be a big red flag. Uh, if you feel drunk on one drink, right. There you, you feel go. like yeah. you had five or six, right? Yeah. Right. Big red flag. If you're experiencing feeling dizzy or if your vision is blurred, right? And that's out of the norm for you. Red flag. And lastly, if you experience memory loss, bowel or bladder control issues, or if you have the sweats or the chills, 
right? Anything out of your normal biology. Yeah. Right. Should be a red flag for you. Yeah, exactly. So if one ever suspects that they've been given some kind of drug and you cannot get to the hospital immediately, it's recommended that you save your urine in a clean container and that can be sealed. Okay. And it should be sealed. And to do that as soon as possible, because some of those drugs can leave the body within 12 to 72 hours. Mm -hmm. Right. We're, we're collecting evidence at this point. So should they report it? Uh, you know what my answer is going to be there? <laughs> Always. Always. Because it's never the fault of the victim. And not only that, but reporting it may save it from happening to another person. Yes. And that's really important. Yes. We got we to gotta watch out for each other. And again, most victims feel shame and that self-blame yeah. and the guilt and embarrassment for even putting themselves in that position, which, by the way, is not fair to you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but reporting it can sure help with that healing process as well. Yeah. Not only can we make somebody uh, accountable for what they have done, but it can mm-hmm. help in your personal healing process. That's right. Because, I, you know, imagine that happening to you. How do you ever feel safe again? Well, no doubt. Who do you trust? Totally. Especially if you don't know where it came from or who was behind, you know, who did this to you, right? There's that huge lack of trust and you fear. You fear so many things. You know, there there really are so many forms of assault and abuse that we haven't even discussed yet. I mean, it goes, the list goes on and on. It's a long one, right? Yeah. A- another one might be stalking. And mm. I've had that happen to me a couple of times. I mean, it was nothing life-threatening or anything, but just, just a couple, you know, like our apartment landlord was stalking outside of our bedroom window one night. That was really creepy. Oh. Kind of thing. All right. Some other forms, there's elder abuse, which makes me so sad. Mm. So sad. There's professional sexual abuse by medical or other helping professionals, right? There's a group assault by more than one person at one time. Prisoner assaults, military assaults, are vulnerable people being assaulted, like individuals with special needs or people who are incapable of telling others, like, you know, really small children, right? It's just all so awful. It is. But we're here to put a magnifying glass on it because Mm -hmm. I don't think people realize how frequent this happens, how frequent all of this happens. We have jobs teaching little kids to keep themselves safe because it happens so much. That's right. Right? That's right. So what are some signs people should look for, since we're talking about it, in small children? That's a good one, Mm -hmm. Kayla. So... Just, you know, keep an eye on your children because you don't know when it could happen. It can happen with people you may not suspect. You just never know. Okay, so some of the things to look for, all of a sudden they're kind of anxious or they're sleeping a lot more. I know lots of little kids when they're scared or nervous, they go to bed. I had a friend, this wasn't sexual abuse, but whenever she was getting a babysitter for her son, he would go to bed just before his parents left, whether it was three o'clock in the afternoon or not, and he wouldn't get up till his parents come home. Aww. He stayed in bed that whole time. Aww. So that wasn't because of the sexual assault, but definitely keep an eye out if your child is is sleeping a lot more than usual, if they're more angry than usual, if they seem to be acting out in just in a ways that just don't seem normal, right? Check in with them. They may not want to visit a place that they previously really enjoyed visiting. That's a big one. That's a red flag. Yeah. They might all of a sudden have nightmares or all of a sudden they're wetting the bed again, right? 
Maybe your child's self-harming. Check in, check in. Depression is something to look for. Suicidal thoughts, loss of appetite, or sometimes the opposite, yeah, right? They start eating their emotions, so to speak, right? Um, watch if your children all of a sudden start trying to control every situation. That's a, that's a safety mechanism. They need to be in control. And sometimes that goes way into adulthood if they don't care, if they don't take care of that, you know, if we don't follow up with that, right? Um, they may not want to bathe or all of a sudden they don't want to be naked in front of you or to see their privates, right? They might have unexplained bleeding or swelling in the genital area or itchiness or burning, right? So watch for those signs. They may show signs of pain if they're walking or if they're sitting and they may experience ongoing bladder or yeast infections again, you know, just keep an eye on those things and have that talk with your child. We are going to be actually talking about um, parenting a child who's been sexually assaulted. So we'll dive more into those signs in our, in that episode. And I just want to spitball on what you just said, uh, Michelle, about the behavioral signs to look for. If your child um, expresses a discomfort around a certain person. Mm. Maybe it's a babysitter. Maybe it is a family member. Maybe it's a teacher. Whoever it is, don't write that off. They're mm. question it. Question yeah. why they're uncomfortable. Question why they don't want to go with the babysitter anymore. Question yeah. why they don't want to go play with the neighbor mm. next door. Yeah. Question their uncomfortability. Right. And you know, Kids, I think, are a little bit, I don't know if the word I want to use is psychic or anything, but you know what? If your child doesn't want to hug somebody, again, question it, but don't make them either. Agreed. Right? Yeah. Or maybe they just get a bad vibe from someone that we we don't get that same vibe. Honor that and respect that. And don't don't make them feel like it's their duty or they have to do that against their against their will. I guess, right? For sure. That's Absolutely. Why, that's why we ask for consent before we hug somebody. Darn tootin'. Mm. So needless to say, you guys, but we're going to say it anyway, sexual assault happens, obviously, in many, many forms, in many different ways, in any relationship, in any city, country, in any family, and it can happen to anybody. Anybody. And that is why sexual assault centers like ours are so darn necessary. We wish they weren't, but the truth is in the pudding. It's in the stats. It's in the secrets. It's in the terrifying experience of survivors. It's in their memories. It's in their psyches. Again, go read the comments in our on our TikTok account. We're here to help. That's what we do. So please, let's end this episode by saying this. If you believe you are being stalked, if you are being sexually harassed, if you feel that you've been drugged, if you're being hurt, if someone is exploiting you, seek help if you can. It's there. And mm -hmm. if one person doesn't listen, then talk to somebody else. That's right. Tell until somebody believes you. Right. Keep looking until you receive the help that you need. Beautiful. Shout. Run. Tell. Our number one rule. Mm-hmm. Man, heavy, heavy topic today. Yeah. But mm. I think we needed to clear up the discrepancies between the different terms because there is a lot of them. Right. There's a lot of them. So I really think we did a good thing today by clearing that all up. 
yeah, and like you said, it's heavy, but it's necessary. And again, opening up all those lines of communication about it, opening up those conversations with other people, it all helps. So we invite you to invite your friends to listen to this podcast. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Good one. So with that, you guys, that concludes our episode nine. We actually have a really exciting episode for number 10. I know. I can't wait. I know. It's going to be good. Yeah. It's going to be good. And with that, you guys, toodaloo. See you later.